is are you guys still there? Still there? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I was muted. I started <laughs> talking, but I was muted. Thank you. <laughs> we, can, we can clean that up in post production. Welcome to another episode of Battery Mates. Uh, it is spring training uh, is happening all around. Uh, real baseball is being played as we're recording this. It's very exciting. Uh, and we have a lot to talk about and a great guest for this episode. Um, I am Toby, as always, from Chicago. And with me, um, as always, across the pond is uh, Matthew. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, hello, hello. Uh, it's marvelous to be back. I'm actually in a terrific uh, good move, Toby. Norwich just beat Brentford to go 10 points clear at the top of the championship. So um, we are back on our way into the EPL. So I'm in a very, very delirious mood. I will try and keep it under under some level of control. It's a rough rough news for our Brentford contingent. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a growing <laughs> yeah, I part of I didn't our... mean to... <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to rub that in. I do apologise to any Brentford fans listening in. Um, I, I'm also um, really delighted that we are going to be joined this evening, this afternoon, depending on what time you're listening, by Faz Shakir, who is the chief political advisor to Bernie Sanders. Uh, most recently, the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders. I've known uh, Faz since he was uh, working in Harry Reid's office, where he was doing incredible work, and has also been political director at the ACLU, but most impressively for the purposes of this audience, was a starting second baseman for the Harvard Crimson. Faz, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you all, or hear you all. <laughs> right. So uh, we uh, we are. this is the second episode of our uh, sixth season. Um, we are now 2-0 uh, and o for having Bernie campaign <laughs> alum. Uh, on the on the show, so thanks thanks for joining us. We start off with a a bit of a rapid fire, just so we can get to know you or or our listeners can, and we're going to go around the horn. But just on the rapid fire, um, as as quick or as uh, explanatory as you like. First question: Who is your favorite team and why? Well, I'm I'm a Nationals fan. I'm here in Washington D.C. and I tend to rotate with wherever I live. So at various points in life, I've been a Red Sox fan when I lived in Boston, and when I was growing up, I was a Braves fan, largely because they were on TBS when I was in Florida. So at the moment, I'm a I'm a home team person. So it's the Nationals. Uh, who's your first favorite player? Oh, man. So, you know, there were two. I, 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 I grew up watching the Cubs and they were my, uh, you know, because they were on WGN when I'd get home from school, I learned the game of baseball while listening to Steve Stone and Harry Carey. Uh, and it was definitely, you know, some combination of either Greg Maddox, Mark Grace, Ryan Sandberg, Andrew, uh, Andre Dawson. So, you know, one of at various points in time, um, you know, Ryan Sandberg probably had the most impact because I obviously became a second baseman in life. <laughs> so we'll Ryan Sandberg. Uh, I've got strong views about this one, so really interested to hear what you say. Where is your ideal place to sit at a ball game? Wow. Um, it depends on the ballpark, obviously. Uh, and there's various seats, you know, Fenway, man, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to sit on the wall. And, man, the Green Monster was a... 
I don't know that there's ever been another one. I, I had, I've only been to Wrigley Field once and I sat um, up in, in the bleachers, which I thought exactly the way to go when you're in Wrigley. <laughs> so I, I would, I would say for myself, if I had to choose, I usually like one of the lines. I like the angle a little bit. Um, and generally, you know, the home team side, uh, that said, I would rotate based on the park. It's a very well nuanced answer there. Uh, good answer. Um, <laughs> Thank you. A lot of thought put into that. <laughs> uh, do you, so outside of the where you sit part, do you have any go-to rituals uh, as a fan uh, when you go to games? Do you keep score or anything like that? Well, I, getting early, I'm a big early fan. So, you know, when when I was fortunate to have the green monster seats uh, in, in, in uh, Fenway, I got there probably an hour and a half before and was there for batting <laughs> practice, got a number of baseballs <laughs> and walked out of there with those. So I, I'm a big fan. Like if I can get there and watch batting practice, presuming the gates open and, and teams are on the field hitting, that is that is the dream for me. Like if I can get through batting practice and having washed it, I'm like 90% satisfied already. And then you, by the way, you get your food, you know, after they clear the field, you know, when they're doing the clearing the field part. Although I do love the groundskeeping part. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Um, you are in uh, the stands and you've just caught a ball. What is your next move? I, I, this is every time look around for a young person. So I'm a I've been fortunate to have a number of baseballs uh, play them, but like if I can find someone, I remember for myself, it just made my life. If, if I got a baseball at a baseball game, so love love to have the opportunity to hand it off to somebody. Controversial choice there. Um, and <laughs> uh, last question for rapid fire: um, robot umpires, yes or no? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, baseball is a game uh, with human error, as is life, and baseball shall forever reflect life. I hope, uh, and I do not want a robotized life. So let's uh, let's continue to preference human labor uh, and the dignity of human work. Yeah, you, when you initially answered that with a no, 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 you sounded just like Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the correct answer. I, I'm still angry about um replays. Uh I don't want I don't want any of that. Well, you know, you started this show by discussing the fact that Casca and I now from Bernie alum, so I think we were the most pro baseball uh campaign in this last cycle. <laughs> Obviously Bernie Sanders and I had the pleasure of going to meet with the major league baseball commissioner Rob Manfred in his office to discuss baseball so like and, and obviously <laughs> played on the field of dreams during the freaking campaign how awesome is that so yeah. yes, uh, uh, there's a reason that you are you got us talking on your podcast the, the field of dreams features very heavily in the interview section of this uh, of this podcast coming <laughs> coming coming right out well there's a, there's a, a really great uh, great start rapid fire so let's go around the hall and talk about some of the things that have been happening in baseball over the last couple of weeks a couple of these uh uh, uh, quite a long time ago now, but um, we don't we don't really break news on on this one. Toby, <laughs> you 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 want to talk about this one first? So why don't you why don't you lead off? Yeah, well, so uh, one of the biggest stories that happened. Uh, there's a lot of big stories that happened in baseball uh, since we we last convened. I think partly because spring tr spring training is happening, but also there's a lot of a lot of news breaking around uh, various camps. The first big one uh, that happened almost right after we stopped recording. The last one is. 
Fernando Tatis Jr. signed an extension with the Padres for 14 years and $340 million, um, which, uh, you know, well advanced, well ahead of his, uh, his, uh, his free agency. Um, and I, I think the, maybe the, the thing I saw about this that captured so much of Major League Baseball's messaging problems um, was, you know, this has since been deleted, but Major League Baseball tweeted a, uh, a, a graphic that had $640 million in just cash flying everywhere. And Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, looking at each other, kind of smiling. And the, the, the post says, name something more expensive than, than the left side of the Padres infield. I I can't, I fundamentally do not understand how that was ever made it through the uh, the content generation uh, team at uh, at Major League Baseball social media. Um, but I think it says something. Uh, you know, first of all, I was shocked to see the baseball teams can spend money outside of uh, New York and L.A. Um, but did anybody uh, have anything to say about um, you know what the Padres are doing and? What, this this bizarre turn of uh, you know whether the this this fake concern that uh, the Padres might be spending too much money. <laughs> well, I, the thing that really grabbed me on the Tatis thing is I, I don't know if you guys saw this story as I had read it in the Wall Street Journal um, when he was signing this contract that there is a uh, investment fund called Big League Advance. Mm-hmm. that will now receive $30 million, around $30 million uh, of his salary. And why are they going to receive $30 million? Because at some point when Tatis was a minor leaguer, they advanced him some money, big league advance, right? They advanced him some money because he was a poor minor leaguer. And in exchange, they extracted a high percentage of future earnings and basically gambled right with Patentis and now are going to base take a fair amount of his uh, of his money, uh, which is crazy. I mean, it's a it, it's a grift of a kind and taking advantage of the fact that minor leaguers, which, which is a different subject, that minor leaguers are not paid enough. So you've got some investment funds who are who are basically bilking them. It's like a payday loan for for minor leaguers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. I mean, the the I mean. The, the amount of money that they're spending is a lot, but they are building a really good team. I would I would be extremely excited if I was a Padres fan, and it's an exciting team they're putting together. But you know, the amount of money that other teams aren't spending um, really does put MLB to shame. I think we said in the last episode that next season is Padres versus the Dodgers and the NL East, and that is the whole of baseball. Um, so I'm not surprised. I didn't realize that they'd actually deleted it, Toby. Um, I'm not surprised, but it's kind of nuts that 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 they're they're thinking they they want to celebrate something like that when every other team in the in the major leagues is is doing nothing. It's a, it's a really good segue to the second item on around the horn here, which is um, another <laughs> another uh, uh, instance of major league baseball executives um, and and voices for major league baseball. Um, saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, the Mariners, uh, Kevin Mather, former now former uh, CEO of the organization, uh, g- gave some, uh, I, I guess he assumed off, um, off the record remarks to the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club, um, which I swear to God was called the Sea Change, uh, was the name of his, his remarks, Sea Change, um, which I guess is, you know, Seattle, Sea Change. Um, 
<laughs> Mariners, you know, but also led to, led to a sea change in leadership uh, with the Mariners. He resigned shortly after, uh, a couple days after his remarks were leaked. Um, his very public remarks were leaked. Um, but in these remarks, if, you ha- if you, people who haven't seen this story or, or haven't read anything about it, you know, he disparaged uh, a few players and prospects who he said didn't speak English well. Um, he openly bragged about manipulating service time for some of their top prospects, um, implied that players who didn't sign extensions, um, you know, might not make it to the major leagues as fast as other players. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, I think it just in general, said a whole lot of things that we've, as fans, think that front think this is the way the front offices operate and and their kind of you know um you know their theory and their philosophy on on player development and how they think of players um and i think the the piece about this is that the mariners really tried to ride it out uh briefly (laughs) (laughs) they they put out a statement uh where he apologized uh as if which says a lot this is all you really need to know about whether this was actually off uh you know these were off talking they were he was he went off he went off the talking points. He didn't say something that wasn't true. <laughs> I guess the, yeah, the, uh, it was, it was just, it was spectacular. It, I, I haven't watched literally the entirety of his talk. I watched the, the John boy, like highlights, just the highlights ran to 12 minutes. <laughs> it was really, it was really something just, just hit after hit after hit. And you know, the, the point you made there is so spot on saying the quiet part out loud. We all know that that's how, general managers think about the players we all know that service time is being manipulated Uh, it's just the fact that he would just brazenly saying it It kind of reminded me of when republican leaders just come out and say that they're changing um you know they're removing voting rights because they don't want black people to vote like usually they don't say that we we know that that's what they want and they know that we know that that's what they want but there's this like uh we're not going to say that we're just going to say this is this is you know about about you know protecting the vote whatever he just came right out and said you know we're not bringing him up <laughs> so we don't have to pay him <laughs> it's incredible yeah i mean i don't think you have much respect for in those ranks for labor in general you know and uh i think that it it, it he, there's this mentality that we own we own the players they do what we say and and we set the terms and the rules rather than really appreciating the fact that the players are the ones who who drive this game and make it what it is who give you the job and the honor of being able to be a general manager or owner of a team right it's it, somehow right. in their head that it gets reversed and they're like well these all these people they work for us uh we set the terms would you i, I you know <laughs> If it came out later, in a few years' time or whatever, that, that Kevin Mather was actually a gigantic pro-Labour guy, <laughs> uh, and he was like a deep, uh, like deep undercover, like the illegals, like the Americans, like TV show, he'd just been burrowing his way into an organisation so he could come out at some point and say all of the things that set the MLB PA up for a perfect CBA run-in. Would that would that be surprising? <laughs> How different would it be between him just being like a total goofball versus this being like the longest con the players union has ever like what would be the difference in 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 what he said is that's that's how bad it is for the for the MLB. Well, it's like a theory of was Donald Trump brought along to bring Democrats back into full trifecta control of the government? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it was by design. It was just the effect. <laughs> 
somewhere someone's is putting together the the the, the neat transition to the CBA negotiation talk. So that, that, those those are coming up the end of this year, and I think uh, you know I, I can't imagine this helps the owners' uh, position very much uh, now that we have them on the record. Um, I mean, some some of those players must surely be at least thinking about taking out a grievance. You, I, you'd think. They'd have a pretty, I mean, Chris Bryant lost his, um, the grievance he filed. Um, but, but these, I mean, this, there's a lot more evidence here. <laughs> it seems like pretty, uh, cut and dried. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but this next topic is something that I think is going to be, uh, at least I have uh, I've thought a lot about because it affects my team quite a bit. Um, but, uh, a story broke uh, it, actually before our last episode. We didn't actually cover it, so that's on us. Um, in the uh, Athletic, about Mickey Calloway, the former pitching coach for the Cleveland Baseball Club, uh, former manager of the Mets, and now current suspended pitching coach of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, and in last month's report, uh, we found out he was there's a lot of disgusting, uh, inappropriate behavior behavior, especially with uh, female members of the media women who worked for the Mets. A lot of it was, uh, you know, um, it led to a major league baseball investigation. The angels suspended him. Um, and a report that came out this week, also in the athletic kind of, uh, shed some more light on the situation. Uh, namely that this was a really poorly kept secret. Uh, and, and even back in his Cleveland days, uh, Cleveland, despite the fact that they initially, I think they may have, you know, uh, tripped over themselves trying to get a, a statement out initially saying that we didn't know anything about this. Um, uh, it cl- is clear now that they weren't blindsided by this. They, you know, they, they knew he, he was, a he had had, uh, issues of being inappropriate, um, and sending inappropriate material to, to people who, uh, outside the organization. Um, anyway, uh, and <laughs> the, maybe the, the most, um, alarming lol i had all, all week was um the fact that his nickname in new york when he was mets manager was dick pick mick um so uh, i don't know before i get go off on the cleveland organization here um uh does, does anybody have you been following this story are you, are, you, are you all surprised by this i hadn't followed this one uh you're you you grab you, you got my attention with dick pick mick um, <laughs> um I, I'm glad I wasn't. Uh, I haven't known about him or never met him. Thankfully, would not like to um, receive those kinds of things. I, I, I this was a, a new one to me in the run up to recording tonight. I mean, I've seen it on social media, but uh, digging in in some detail, it, it really is an astonishing track record. You know, the Athletic. Um, again, get some credit here for for the the depth of their reporting, but the the the, the scale of his disgusting behaviour, it 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 really I think it it sets a challenge for MLB in 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 the sense of how serious will they will they take um, something like this? There is a long standing in depth pattern of really horrendous behaviour that people seem to have known about and um if not covered up then at least turned a blind eye um or turned away from it you know it it, it's the other thing is that it it doesn't feel like he's that 
different. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like the 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 behaviour being described in these articles stands him out as uniquely unpleasant in the game <laughs> or, or in sports generally. And it speaks to that wider culture. So I mean, I think it, this is he's under investigation by the Angels organisation, but he's also under investigation by the MLB. And I hope that they are looking at how Cleveland handled it and how New York handled it as well, because. Um, yeah, th- this is beyond unacceptable. I mean, it's just it's just really, really shocking. You know, talking about um, well, I, 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 people should go and read it for themselves. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't, yeah it, it I really is uh, horrendous. It's, it's an argument for more women in positions of power within baseball uh, because. You know, it is obviously male-dominated game, uh, males on the field. However, I think changing the culture um, here is, you know, the, in some sense, I, I think you could change the culture by having more women executives in the front office. You could have women umpires on the field. You could change the power dynamic. And right now, obviously, some of these, some of the men running away with power are doing things that they feel like, hey, you know, this is, uh, this is what we get to do because of, uh, of our power. That's re- I think that's a really good point. And I think that you both kind of spoke to where my head goes on this. Um, you know, I, and, and I follow this through the lens of uh, a lot of, you know, Cleveland sports fans on Twitter. Um, I've seen both extremes. Immediately, I heard some people saying, like, you know, got to fire the all the, the front office and Tio Francona and everybody. And I've seen fans say, like, oh, well, you know, you can't expect the Cleveland front office. Because, you know, what the, you know, you, you everybody should go read what the, um, you know the the what the allegations are here but um the, you know what we know about that happened on Cleveland during the Cleveland organization's time is uh they were aware of a you know some inappropriate behavior and an extramarital affair um and a and a like uh, and a husband who brought that to a, the husband of the of the woman brought it to the attention of the, of the front office in Cleveland um and apparently they fo- they followed up with Mickey Calloway about it and and i've heard people say like you can't expect the Cleveland front office to police their employees' personal lives. Um, and, you know, the affairs that happened there were consensual and all, you know. But I think that the Cleveland response so far, there's two things that are pretty damning. Um, for one, you know, I, was, I said this before, but they were, they were really, they were super fast to pile on early on that first report and imply that this was the first they were hearing of all this. And which strikes me as an, as an organ, something, an organization that's, less concerned with whether something bad happened on their watch or might have happened on their watch, right? And more concerned with changing the subject or not appearing like uh, they're the bad guys and making sure everybody's clear that we're not the bad guys here. Um, and, you know, we know now that the, this behavior was, as someone put it in the, in the article, the worst kept secret in the organization. Um, and they, they, in that initial statement, they said, no one ever made a formal complaint to HR leadership as as some kind of badge of honor and that's an i think that's an indictment of their culture right like if 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 we knew that everybody knew he was a creep now if we know now everybody knew in cleveland he knew he was a creep and no one complained about it that says something about whether people feel comfortable coming forward with complaints uh not whether bad things were happening we know bad things were happening right um and then look at how they're responding now you know after after we now know that they were not being as truthful as they should have been initially um you know, they they put out a statement saying <laughs> they put out a statement saying we can't make a statement right now. There's an ongoing investigation, and we're being very cooperative there. Um, 
which is garbage. And then, you know, they put Tito Francona out there uh, bef- before <laughs> before that statement uh, actually went out. They put Tito Francona out there and knew he was it just basically like let him say, oh, we now's not the right time to talk about this. We really want to get into it. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, now's not the right time. And then he's then he followed up with saying um, th- this this gem he said, I'm trying to find the right quote. Nobody's ever deliberately covered up for anybody. I can tell you that. And that is such a perfect sentence. Even, you know, accidentally perfect sentence. Nobody's ever deliberately covered up for anybody. Because that's the problem, right? They're, they're looking the other way. Isn't deliberately covering anything up in their book, right? Yeah, you worry about tribal loyalties in these kinds of settings. You, yes. know, you think back to uh, Paterno at Penn State with yes. Sandusky, right? And what actually ends up happening is you build a relationship where you like, you know, the on-field coaching and you like the you like being in the foxhole with the guy, which is great. You could be a friend. However, there's what you what you can't always uh, intermingle is like your personal friendship with a professional setting. And sometimes those are two different hats you got to wear. You can be a friend with somebody and say, hey, you don't work in this professional setting the way in which you treat people. And too often, I think those things get um, intermingled in ways that are really kind of uh, destructive for a culture. Uh, and we've seen it play out in sports all the time because it becomes like loyalty. I've been with this person forever. Or they're my buddy. Okay, great. They can be your buddy off the field. But if you're running a culture in a clubhouse or an organization, you're accountable for the types of people you're condoning. Yeah, and I think that's totally right. And and it's also um, a culture that we've seen play out in politics as well and, and other organizations as well where people in charge of policing the rules are thinking not just about what is right for the individuals in the organization, but what is right for the organization or the candidate or the committee or whatever else it might be and 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 that is toxic and it it leads to these kinds of incidents happening time and time again i mean we had this uh in the late party in the uk where uh you know sexual harassment has taken place and uh clearly in part of the process the the prior the, the organization the party has been prioritized and uh the reforms are taking place to make the process independent of the party so that completely independent people whose only priority is dealing with the case on its merits um, are able to be operationally independent and I think that that's the way these things will need to go it's obviously I think particularly toxic in sports but it's definitely something that has impacted political campaigns and political organizations as well yeah I think and I I think that you know the fallout here was remains to be seen but uh, and there's been a lot of talk about whether people in Cleveland or elsewhere should lose their jobs. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a lot less concerned about whether who loses their jobs over this. Um, although Callaway, at the very least, I mean, he's got to go, I assume. Um, but I'm a lot more concerned on, on about what specifically these teams are going to do to change the culture. Um, because it's it's not just the Cleveland Baseball Club. It's not just the Mets or Angels. It's not even just baseball or sports, as you just were, were talking about, uh, Matthew. Like, it's, you know... We have to. I think as a society, we have to decide whether this kind of behavior is, is tolerable any tolerable anywhere. Um, and ironically, Cleveland has built this organizational representation or uh, reputation for being uh, for having a great internal culture and being well run and being a place that uh, is able to keep really talented uh, people in the front office, even though 
um, there are places with bigger budgets that are calling their names um, and, and, and want to hire them. <clears throat> well, I think this is a test for an organization like that. This is a time they can prove that, you know, they can be a leader in this uh, on this issue um, that they can they, they can be accountable to, you know, that um, I, I don't know. It seems like they need to be able to they're the spotlights on Cleveland and it matters how they respond. Uh, you know, they can show, they can kind of say that this is bad. It's been bad for a long time. It's time. It's got to change. And and here's how, and I think that here's how piece is really important. Um, because I think there's, it's, you know, as Tito alluded to, I think everybody kind of looks, look the other way about Mickey Calloway. And like, this is an opportunity where we actually have to stop that. We have to make sure. And then that's, and that's process, right? (laughs) Um, so anyway, <laughs> I've said a lot about Cleveland. Okay, let's let's pivot to the last one and around the horn before we get on to our half-hearted attempt at empathy. I want to talk about gambling uh, uh, for a few moments. Um, I- I'm still completely obsessed with uh, Donald Trump's uh, lobbying for Pete Rose to be allowed into the Hall of Fame, but that's not what this is about. Toby, you, 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 you put this one in the notes. You, you tee us up. <laughs> I mean... <clears throat> This seems I, I maybe I was completely unaware of this or, or like just being able to tune it out. But sports media is rapidly pivoting to gambling. Um, you know, the athletic rolled out something this off baseball offseason. Um, NBC has changed their uh, like their their like flagship fantasy baseball um, site into a fantasy baseball and gambling site. Um, you know, even ESPN is, is kind of getting in on this. And I, 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 first of all, I just want to say this seems bad. I don't really have anything, you know, substantive really to add to that. It just doesn't seem like a good thing. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, has anybody followed this? As, I mean, uh, <laughs> this could people, be a really do you short, gamble? <laughs> be a really short segment. A really short segment. thoughts on this, how it's changed the game and the culture of the game, because, you know, I've seen, you know, obviously I appreciate everyone who wants to gamble and like go ahead and spend your money and, you know, get invested in outcomes. Fine. Uh, it's in, It feels to me that it has changed how we watch the games and consume the games. So you're no longer kind of enjoying the uh, sport qua sport, the art, artisticness uh, of the sport. You're probably watching with anxiety about are they going to kick this field goal to cut it cut the margin of the game right i'm going to cover the over over cover my over or under whatever it might be right and it's, it's just a really kind of a sad way to be experiencing the game from my perspective that said you know teach their own i think that i think there's i think there's a lot to that and um particularly the way that the advertising of that kind of gambling is um affecting young people i, I i'm much more um aware how gambling has affected soccer in the in, in England. I've, it's been a big, really big situ, situation. Most of the teams, uh, their shirts are sponsored by gambling companies, often not even UK domicile gambling companies. They're overseas uh, looking for TV exposure. And their gambling you know, model is not just around who do you think is going to win this game, but side bets, like who's going to score the first goal, who's going to score the last goal, how many corners is each team going to uh, win during the game? Um, how many yellow cards will will there be? Stuff like that that is completely, I mean, not completely irrelevant to the game, but it's not, you know, part and parcel of who's going to 
you know how is this game going and and like you say the the art of it first and when you merge it with fantasy uh well with fantasy with, with money on the line right and now right. it's like now it's not even about the team winning the game it's like the individuals so you could say oh you know my team lost by you know a, a dozen runs however my guy went three for four had a doubles you know score yeah you know, that's it like it, i was betting on that and it's an it, it's an interesting skewing of how you consume a game and what your kind of a fan investment in it might be yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for a, 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 a minority, but for a significant minority, gambling is really addictive and really, really damaging. I mean, it destroys lives in, in some circumstances, not in all. And for some people, it's just kind of a fun little side thing. You know, we're going to put 25 bucks on whoever wins the fantasy league this year or whatever. That's not a problem, obviously. But for some people, it's a really major problem. And you know, when I was growing up, who the shirt sponsor on the Norwich top was meant something to me. I was like, I want to be loyal to the team, so I want to be loyal to the name on the the front. So I, I like when I was a kid, I always bought Asics trainers because they sponsored the Norwich shirt, and now the Norwich shirt is sponsored by Daffabet, and I think it's a real a real worry. There's actually a a, a legal review going on, a government review, uh, which you know, if press speculation is to be believed. Will lead to the banning of gambling advertising in in football and i think that's a great thing but you know going back to the point you made at the beginning toby like i'm worried about how it will also affect media coverage i, I don't want the media to be focusing in on you know the fantasy elements or the who who won the most corners and stuff like that just like we don't want that to be a distraction on the field i want it to be just i don't want that to be a distraction in the coverage either the, the other rule about gambling as you guys know is the house always mm-hmm. wins right end of yep. it, the large buildings in, in nevada and las vegas exist because they rake it rake in a lot of money and yeah you might get your little bits here and there uh, feel good about yourself but the house always wins and i i do worry like what what is happening here in the skewing of finances related to this i don't know and i've not dug deep enough but you do worry when you have a large entities making hell lots of money on outcomes. Uh, I mean, we have a kind of sordid history, right, of, of Hall of Famer, but a Hall of Famer should be Hall of Famer, Pete Rose, but we got involved in this and then you worried about what the outcome, were they skewing outcomes where you know, we've had point shaving, you know, scandals all the way back. And especially now as the money gets even bigger and deeper and you have my, you know, you, you think about the, the the kind of venues where people aren't paid very much, so college athletics, uh, minor leaguers, it could be potentially most susceptible, right, to like if there's large finances being able to shape outcomes. And, and to your point about the house always wins, you know, I think these me- this media coverage about advice on how to, you know, make the right bets and whatnot is is all positioned as is advice to help you know you get an edge in this in in gambling and you know they they don't they're they're not very forthcoming with the fact that these a lot of these media and these sites are cozied up with the house right they they don't <laughs> they don't want everybody to win um so i just think it's 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 likely to i just think this is bad i i'll go back to my previous statement i think this seems this seems bad <laughs> um should we uh, go? To, let's have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll go right into the half-hearted attempt at empathy, empathy interview um, with Faz. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by MLB TV, the app we know you can't live without. Here at MLB Advanced Media, 
We're excited to expand our experimentation on your emotional well-being. That starts by continuing the practice of rotating among only 14 oddly curated highlights between innings. And this year, we're proud to roll out a new feature we're calling Ninth Inning Blackouts. That's right, it's about to get tense around here. For a randomly selected 2% of audiences of close games, we'll just shut off the broadcast at the start of the ninth inning and let your imagination take it from there. We're the MLB TV app, and we've got you right where we want you. All right, that is fantastic. Thank you so much, as ever, to all of our sponsors. I am increasingly hopeful that uh, vaccines, in this country at least, will get us into a place where I can be in the U.S. before the end of the season. So I am saving up all the dollars I can uh, to to make that happen. Um, I am personally pretty hopeful. We're going to come to this at the end of the episode for the Battery Mates prediction contest, but I'm I'm personally pretty hopeful that the Nationals can repeat and be the full season champions once again. But we'll have to wait and see on that. So let's get into the half-hearted attempt at empathy. Uh, Faz, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we want to dig in and talk about uh, your love for for the game and uh, your use of a presidential campaign to play baseball on the field of dreams. But I want to start by giving you a quote that that you said. Um, to, to tee us up um, it really uh, spoke to me baseball was everything for my life in terms of opening up my life to education opportunities all of my friends and networks even to this day are a lot of friends that I acquired from baseball so you you didn't get into the game that early I think I read somewhere that you didn't start playing until you were 12 just talk us to, uh, through how you came to the game of baseball and why you said what you said there about how the game is so important to you. Well, I, I, I was the son of Pakistani immigrants who obviously did not come to this country knowing a lot about uh, the game of baseball. They learned it from me. I came to it late, as I mentioned, watching Chicago Cubs on TV and WGN and coming home from school and, and really, frank, frankly, taking um, a, a real keen like, liking to it and learning about it. I started, it as you said, at 12 years old, and then really one of my formative um, kind of mentors in life was my high school baseball coach, Tom Dooley, who uh, not only taught me how to refine my skills in the game, but uh, really kind of emphasized the mental toughness elements of the game. And and that those are those lessons that have stayed with me for a lifetime, because you all know this, that baseball is a game in which you have to cope with failure. Uh, there's a, a lot of failure. Uh, I was a young shortstop, right? Uh, a sophomore shortstop on a high school team. Uh, he saw great potential in me, but I probably made something like 30 errors uh, in my in my sophomore season. And you have to learn how to kind of cope with that. You, you're striking out a lot early on. And by the senior, my senior year, I think I made three errors at shortstop and had a really terrific fielding percentage and was much better at the bat and learned how to steal bases and read pictures. But like a lot of that comes with just being able to uh, deal with failure. Uh, and, and it's a great lesson for life, and the, I've, I've carried it with me. It's a version of a, a mental toughness. When things are rough, how do you um, keep your uh, keep your cool, keep your demeanor, and keep positive? Uh, stay honed on on having a better outcome next time. With the, with the, with those error stats, you sound a lot like a, a kind of a Carter Keyboom uh, figure. <laughs> So this isn't a nationals in joke, but I mean, starting that late and then ending up 
um, playing at the level you played at, you must have been, you must have had some really natural talent and and some incredible coaching to come through. That's exactly. I mean, I got natural talent is arguable. Uh, I, I certainly had some some amount of talent, but a, a really good coaching had. I think I squeezed the most out of my five foot nothing, hundred nothing frame. Uh, I remember my college baseball coach, another for you know mentor, the late uh, Joe Walsh, wonderful person, came down and saw me play. Said, "Yeah, you know, he's, he's small." But he saw something in me, which was passion for the game. And this is a blue collar guy who was a you know Harvard baseball coach, came out of Suffolk, and and you know was saw in me somebody who's like he he's here because he just loves baseball. And I, he probably took a took a chance on me, uh, brought me onto the roster. Probably was the 25th man on that Harvard 25 person roster my freshman year. Um, finally got on the field and uh, had some really great experiences my freshman year. I was able to. Deliver were a game-winning, you know, hit an Ivy League championship game, and it was all because, really, he just he saw something in me, uh, and I've tried to maintain that kind of a thing where you, you, you know, you can easily kind of get set on seeing in life status quo, you know, things that comport with what previous expectations have been, or you can break those molds and say, hey, yeah, these are the way other people have done, but. I'm interested in other qualities, and I've I've tried to take that to quite frankly hiring in, in my life, and did that on the Bernie Sanders campaign. Like you know, some many people hire field organizers who had prior experience doing this thing. Well, I'm going to try to preference passion for Bernie Sanders, not really a resume. You're coming out of Starbucks, and you, you know, you might want to join our campaign. Well, we got a spot for you. Right? We're going to take a chance because we see the passion. Uh, so it's funny how that some of those lessons from baseball still carry through into how I think about you know, uh, working in the political life. I, I got I to go back to Harvard. You played second base at Harvard. And, I, and as someone who played second base um, through high school, I, and I got, you know, I saw my um, my dreams of playing pro ball kind of fizzle out. Uh, speaking of a five foot uh, nothing frame, I'm, you know, five foot five. So I definitely knew I wasn't playing professional baseball. Um, although I don't think Dustin Pedroia, or Dustin Pedroia was much taller than, than, than that. Um but I, I will say, I, I, I my dreams of playing pro ball fizzled out pretty quickly uh, once I saw curveballs in high school. Um, but you played at Harvard. How how seriously did you entertain, and how long did you enter, entertain those those dreams of playing professional baseball? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the coming out of college uh, did have an opportunity to have, got thrown a free agent contract to fill out a rookie league roster. Which you know, for those of you who don't know, like, like then you go through a draft, a team drafts like hundreds, you know, lots and lots of players, um, and then they send them down to rookie league, and they might need a player here or there to fill out, you know, a rookie league roster, and that essentially means playing a summer of professional baseball because, you know, it would have been nice to do. I turned it down because I knew I was never going to get anywhere, and so I got in a car and drove up to Washington D.C. instead after I graduated and 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 started my political career, which I think was probably the right uh, professional decision. But I do look back with some regret that hey, it would have been nice for you know like a summer to say hey, I called myself a professional baseball player, and I still think about it. I still care about care about the game and. I mentioned it before when we were talking about it. I still, you know, we, we got involved during the campaign on these issues and I, on minor league issues. And, that, you know, it, there's this part of me that still wants um, justice for, for baseball. Yeah, talking of the presidential campaign, we've got to talk about the literal field of dreams game with Bernie. To what extent did, was that entirely 
orientated around the fact that you all just really wanted to do that versus the messaging purpose of that as a campaign opportunity like <laughs> you can be you can be honest now we're we're past the, the campaign yeah, well, just like, remember, this is remember, my one shot i remember the day we were in iowa we were driving around i was with uh your deputy campaign manager sitting backseat ari rabenhoff and uh, senator sanders was in the front and i said senator uh, i was i was just thinking about it we were driving through these kind of random you know as you know like long drives through Iowa, random fields. And I looked out and I remember seeing a baseball field and something flashed. I was like, yeah, you know, Field of Dreams here in Iowa. And I wonder if Senator Sanders ever been there because obviously he ran for president before. So I said, Senator, have you been to the Field of Dreams? And he stopped and he goes, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. That'll, that'll be not. How far away is it? And, you know, we start all start getting on our phone and Googling. We're like, we should do an event there. He's like, that would be great. That would be great. And, that, <laughs> and out of that, the seeds of, a, the seeds of a campaign event were born. And so we... We took it, and I think you know probably it wasn't a month until um, a month later when we had uh, you know I think Ari looked into it, and with our advance our scheduling advanced staff looked into how much it would cost to rent the field. It turned out it wasn't uh, you know overly expensive. We got it for a whole day, and uh, we reached out to our press corps to see if maybe we could do a friendly press versus uh, staff kind of uh, Bernie staff baseball game that at the last minute kind of fell apart, but we still did a, a kind of a a game of the Bernie staff versus a nonprofit, um, uh, it, which was wonderful. It was it was really kind of one of the most pinnacle moments of the of my experience in the campaign. Just being able to step foot on the field of dreams, see that I, I got there <laughs> true to form. I got there early, walked around the field, went into the corn <laughs> uh, the cornfields. It was it was it was you could not have asked for a perfect night. I mean, it was it, the weather was fantastic. The sun went down. It was like Lily, we were recording a movie and the. <laughs> You know, I just I can't forget it. And we, we brought in some some of our staff who also, you know, won't forget it, I think, for the court for, for much of their lives. I always think of the 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 um, the, the James Earl Jones um, scene where it's, this is such a random scene where the the the, the his daughter, Kevin Costner's daughter falls down and, and starts choking on the hot dog. And James Earl Jones says, that child is choking, choking to death. Right. Like, I don't think. I, I think I would probably be a really annoying uh, participant in an event like this because I would just constantly bring up that scene. Um, <laughs> re- yeah, I, got, I got the other scene. I got. I, I went to the stand. And I got a shirt uh, with a quote on it. Uh, is this heaven? Uh, no, it's Iowa. Right, which is one of the other ones from that movie. Um, I, I also read somewhere that um, Faz, that you that you coached or you coached Little League. Um, is that? Do you still do yes. that? You know, I wish I had more time to do that. But for when I first uh, came out of, uh, you know, when I graduated baseball, I came down to D.C., um, I I remained active in the game, wanted to coach in the game. And that was the area that I really wanted. And I, to, to this day, if you ask me, is there a dream job that you would want, it would be coaching. It would be coaching a, ba- a college baseball team, which would be awesome. I would love to coach a college baseball team. Or, you know, a high school team would be great, too. So, you know, you start somewhere and I started, I, I, I contacted Arlington Little League where I was living at the time, Arlington, Virginia, and uh, I coached Arlington Little League uh, team for a couple of years and really, really loved it. It was it was so much fun. Um, I would love to do it again, uh, knock on wood, sometime soon. So uh, what age group were we talking about? Yeah, 10 to 12. It was right in the, in the, in the classic Little League sense. So when you're putting together a lineup, um, 
what kind of strategy did you bring to the to, to your line of construction with uh, 10 to 12 year olds <laughs> for 10 to 12s man you say like, uh, at least with me uh, i guess everyone might have their own thoughts but uh um so first i was looking for an obp person right at the top right somebody <laughs> who's gonna get on this so i'm like okay who's the person least likely to strike out makes contact might take a walk uh you know so i had, I had a couple of those uh, as you, I also wanted to be a manager who encouraged swinging. So let, let's be honest. I was like, hey, I don't, I don't mind if you swing. I'm, I'm gonna get you in the lineup. Big rule of thumb for me was making sure everybody got, got, to, got some hacks, and, uh, and everyone got on the field. Of course, those, those are rules. But I wasn't just like trying to meet the minimum. So I was like, hey, I want everybody getting an opportunity to play um, because that's what little league is for, really honing different positions. You know, learning uh, the skills, getting your eye-hand coordination down. So yeah, um, uh, <laughs> the only thing I wanted to do up top with the lineup is get people who get on base because that was good for everybody. And that meant more at-bats for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for answering that question seriously. <laughs> yeah. Sure, you're welcome. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of time, but there's there's one question I wanted to to, to wrap up this segment with because um, it, it you know it, uh, we have very different experiences, but it means a lot to me is coming coming to baseball late in my life as a as a, a new arrival in in the U.S. The the media likes to mythologize baseball's role in American culture um, and a lot of, of what baseball has done wrong. Uh, over the generations is is kind of skimmed over and um, glossed over like so many things in in American uh, culture but you've spoken really um, movingly about your experience as a first generation American and how baseball's played a, a role in in your life how do you sort of weigh up that um, side of baseball with the more problematic sides of baseball how, how does that story of baseball how does the story of baseball in Americana resonate with you? You think of um, the game and it has been a great ambassadorial element for America, quite frankly. Now you see the game moving and to so many other parts of the world. Obviously, the role of um, South American, Central American players has changed the game in a really positive direction. A lot, it, it, is, it has been a welcoming game in that regard for me you know coming to america it learn, learning about the game was the immigrant experience uh, as i learned myself and then taught it to my parents and to this day you know they, they were they didn't know anything about baseball but now you know are often calling me telling me here's the scores of these games watch the cubs game last night watch the you know the rays play and the, it, it is that in that way the the kind of quintessential um you know uh, uh giving back of the immigrant story is like baseball provided and now it's become part of our life and i got an opportunity to play in college and it has uh, it has given great opportunities that said there's a i'm always cognizant that in america you, this is embedded in our ethic which is um something good can always be made better something good can always be made better and i think that there's uh problematic elements of the game and just because you raise elements of them whether it's the culture that we've been talking about earlier or some of the how they treat me of the minor leaguers, uh, the how uh, really corporate billionaire owners are, you know, doing injustice even during COVID of furloughing players as the Angels owners were doing, right? Like, the, like before furloughing a staff, and so I, I mean, there's pieces of it that are wrong, and because you raise those things, and you mentioned that, you know, even how do do we truly respect the Negro leagues and all the wonderful things that you know other 
um, you know, and then the stats that they brought, the, the fact that they, you know, it was baseball was racist, overtly racist. Um, that that from my perspective, it's like you raise those concerns because you love it and you want to make it better. And as I say, I say that as a progressive, right? That's what we do, even in progressive politics, is you raise the concerns because you want better. Uh, and I, it is it is the frame of mind that I maintain for baseball and for my professional life in politics. That's really that's really great. That's really great. Okay, we need to um, wrap things up, but before we go, I want to give another plug to uh, the Battery Mates uh, prediction contest, which is coming right up. We're going to uh, roll this out ahead of opening day. Um, we're not going to. Uh, pin you down now Faz but we ask um, our listeners to tell us uh, how many te- how many games their team will win whether they'll make the postseason and who will win the World Series like I said the deadline is, is going to be in a couple of weeks time but give us a, a taste of what you think your entry might look like <laughs> yeah so I'm going to probably uh, go with the Nationals winning the um, the division I, I mean, they bolstered the pitching staff with Lester they got some good hitters now with Bell and and Schorber and so they should be a you know a very pretty, more competitive team this and obviously have to contend with the Braves and others in the division but I think should be in a good good place. Uh, Dodgers are still you know rough rough to reckon with <laughs> so you know yeah. and then you get in the AL and the Yankees are rough to reckon with but I I, I, I think you know there's this this season uh, I, I kind of in the back of my mind still were wondering how. Um, some of the up-and-comers, whether it's the, it is that, you know, the Indians ball club, the White Sox ball club. The White Sox are an interesting one. You know, is, is there going to be somebody who comes out of nowhere uh, and shows that they are, you know, really in a strong position to contend? I don't know. I don't know. I'll think about it, though. I'll let you guys know. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely follow up with that uh, and and get back to you and get back to you when we get back to all of Battery Mates Nation for their predictions, um, which, you know, opening day is only... 27 days away 28 days away um so i you know <clears throat> lots to do obviously we we i have to get i have to get back into the the best shape in my life so um but matthew it, you know for the rest of batter mates nation uh, as you're thinking about your preseason predictions um do you have any like you know advice for folks well, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK we have finally got some sunshine so i'm going to be out there shagging some balls with the ball.